Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 478th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who transforms ordinary spaces into beautiful food-producing landscapes. We're talking with Matt LeBon about foodscaping. Matt is a proud St. Louis native with over 10 years of farming and gardening experience. He got his start with farming as a Peace Corps volunteer in Paraguay, later going to study permaculture and work on several farms in Israel and Brooklyn. Then he became a practitioner and instructor on edible landscaping, organic agriculture, orcharding, and permaculture design. He is most passionate about creating magical food moments in the everyday places we work, learn, and play. His company, Custom Foodscaping, transforms ordinary spaces into beautiful food-producing landscapes. They provide consultation, design, and installation services to create edible landscaping in your farm and garden. Welcome to the show today, Matt. Are you ready to rock edible landscaping? Let's rock it, Greg. Excellent. So, hey, I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? I sure can. You know, I think my path, it kind of started in college, and I definitely was one of those people who came to college without any idea of what I wanted to do in the world. And and certainly, I I think I kind of developed this idea at some point that was, you know, I want to make the world a better place, but I have no idea how to do it. And then you kind of shared in my bio there about how I ended up doing the Peace Corps out of college. And I think awesome. pe- that was just like something to grab onto that was yeah. like, I know this seems well-intentioned and I know it's going to be a good learning experience. So that was the, the first straw that I grabbed to kind of like give me a little bit of direction and exposure. I had grown up in a very cookie-cutter suburban lifestyle and, and then gone straight to college out of high school. So I, I think I was very hungry hungry for unique and different experiences that I knew were out there, but had definitely not had firsthand. So then Peace Corps, I just had, you know, there 
the experiences people have had certainly run the gamut, but my experience was really positive, and I got an assignment working with Rural Farming Cooperative in Paraguay. Wow. Super lucky. It was a the predominant predominant crop that my neighbors grew was fair trade organic sugarcane. So it was a super interesting experience into the way the global food system works. But the the real transformation took place when I kind of came to the realization that all of my neighbors knew how to build their own homes and they all had diverse livestock. They all had huge gardens. They all grew beans and mandioca and corn and put them into huge sacks and stored them for months at a time. Fruit trees were just a given around every single house, tons of them. Wow. Uh, and, And I remember so vividly that there were some new houses being built. And before the houses had even been moved into, there was fruit trees planted. In that climate, it was mostly like mangoes and different citrus trees that Uh were kind of the staples, but also things like avocado and guava and papaya. And and that just like was so normal to them to plant those things and to (laughs) to enjoy those fruits. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. Just like mangoes fall from the sky in the thousands. These were enormous mango trees a lot of times. So that whole idea just really shifted my understanding of how we could interact with the land. And then I kind of, I was able to work with so many different farmers uh-huh. throughout those two, those next two years and came to understand that, that despite uh, a lack in formal education, so many of my neighbors were just masters of the local ecology and they knew every weed, they knew every insect, they knew how to cure, you know, every upset stomach or headache with some plant that they would go pull from, you know, some random spot that to me just looked like a pile of weeds. And I think that that was just so inspiring. And and that was coupled with during my Peace Corps training, we went actually in like the first week or two to what was labeled a permaculture training center or a farm. And and it was kind of the epitome of the things I've already mentioned. And I just felt like, wow, this is this is unbelievable. I remember they were heating up an outdoor shower using compost. Um, oh, and, nice. and then I just thought, this is insane. This is a whole world that I, I know. I, I know I need to be in, but I don't know anything about. And so that kind of launched me into the uh, the next chapters of my life, which were all about working on farms and gardens and learning from people who had gone down the permaculture path already. Yeah. Wow. You and I actually have a lot in common. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I Straight out of high school, I was grasping for straws. I actually, while I was in high school, I was running a business. I used to clean service and build fish ponds here in Phoenix, and I went to college, but I didn't make it through college. Okay. I actually flunked out of college. Yeah. And went down a pathway that took me about 10 years to 1991 when I discovered permaculture. So there were two things Mm. that happened, two major things that happened for me in 1991. I discovered permaculture, which I had the same realization that you did. It's like, wow, (laughs) there's something we can call this. Right. And the other thing that happened for me in 1991 was a buddy of mine went sailing in the South Pacific and they they uh, anchored at a at an island looking yeah. looking for a grocery store and everybody kind of pointed and laughed <laughs> at them and said go pick your own. Right. <laughs> pick your own grocery store. Yeah, exactly. And so I, you know, I had some of those same realizations along the way. It's like, hold on, why isn't everybody growing food? When you experience that, and then it's hard to uh, it's hard to understand why we're putting so much time and energy into landscapes that don't give us anything in return, and often require tons of herbicide and pesticide input to maintain. So it's baffling. All right, cool. So then you discovered permaculture. Where did you do a yeah. permaculture design course at? 
I did a unique permaculture design course. Another thing I'm so grateful for is I came across this ecological learning center called Havave Adam, which is in central Israel. And oh, they, wow. it, yeah, total Mediterranean climate. And that was, they were offering like a six month extended Whoa. permaculture apprenticeship, they called it. So that was uh, living on site in a, in a yurt and getting to experience a lot of what goes into kind of a permaculture-inspired community living space. Mm -hmm. But we, so we, we were working on the farm and doing our PDC at the same time. And that was, that was an amazing experience because we, I've come to realize that so many other people, as I'm sure you know, do a PDC in 10 days or, or yep. 12 days or something. And right. while, while I'm sure that many of those people are very happy with their learning experience, I, I felt like it was an amazing opportunity to to get to see so many of the things we were learning play out over at least a little bit of time and get to implement them hands on. Wow. So what an awesome experience. Super awesome. Yeah, yeah. very grateful for that. Cool. And so I, I always like to ask from with my for my PDCers, uh, then PDC is permaculture design course for the those of you listening there. For my PDCers, how do you define permaculture? Yeah, I love that question. I've come to define it with three words that I feel good about. I call it nature-inspired design. Ooh. And I, I've kind of settled with that. And then I'll usually expound a little bit and say that, that nature is the wisest of multifaceted systems that we have to, to learn from. So when we're trying to solve challenges like how should we manage the water that hits our cities or our homes and things like that, we can look to nature and say, well, what is, if we, if we hadn't paved over all this, how would nature be handling all this water? And how can we design ourselves to the same ultimate, not goal, but the same ultimate realization mm -hmm. that uh, in terms of how the ecology will work? So that's my stab at it, at least. Good, good. I, I, yeah, I go simple too. I like to call it the art and science of working with nature. Yeah, there's so much art to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, so you do your permaculture design course, and then somehow you magically transport yourself to Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> That's right. Tell me yeah, about that. I, I didn't know didn't know what my next step was. My brother was living in New York, and so I moved to New York because I the idea uh, I, I didn't know where to land, and and basically moved to New York and worked on a few different urban farms there, and that was much more of a just a kind of like hyper urban farming experience. One of the farms was a was a rooftop farm in Brooklyn that kind of was an epitome of a bootstrapping Brooklyn urban farm at the time. Then I worked at another farm that was a was like the first milk crate farm and I, I worked for a guy in in Manhattan who it was called River Park Farm or River yeah, River Park Farm. And it was like twenty thousand milk crates oh my that gosh. were being that were being grown in at twenty ninth and first in Manhattan on a on a site that got halted for development during the crash in two thousand eight. And then they had this big, like a block that they needed to do something with where they didn't have the funding to put up a building anymore. And so was able to learn a ton about growing for chefs with the, um, the farmer who was running that farm mm -hmm. and 
just kind of connected with the permaculture guild people that were living in the New York area at the time and just learned a little bit about what was happening back here in the States. Because at that point, I hadn't really spent a lot of time actually growing food in the United States. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, and you know, chefs are a great way to do it. Oh, man, they're the best. Yeah. They're the best. You know, I, th I have found that especially as somebody who is trying to grow lots of uncommon things because they're the most well-suited for our climate, mm -hmm. that chefs are by far the earliest adopters and can help in, in educating the masses about what all these weird plants are and how we can eat them. Yeah, well, and it kind of drives the market as well. Mm. You know, the chef says, you totally. know, I'd like this kind of plant. Will you grow it for me? It's like bonus. Totally, totally. And, and I've had it work a lot of times the other way where the farmer says, I've got this huge abundance of this random edible weed or I want to grow more, you know, native fruits and nobody's growing these. Like in our climate, things like pawpaws and persimmon are the two biggest native fruits and they're, nobody's growing them commercially, but any chef would go crazy over them. So wow, that was a really awesome learning experience in New York. That really brought me to what was by far the most deep learning experience I've had professionally, which was at the Earth Dance Organic Farm School, which is a farm school in Ferguson, which is a suburb, a North County suburb of St. Louis here. And it's a 14 acre farm school in the middle of the suburbs. Whoa. Pretty awesome stuff. There's, you know, no-till market garden, many acres of tillable land where when uh, we there's just a whole myriad of agricultural activities going on there. And I was I was there for five years and was able to be a part of the farm farm team and eventually became farm manager and we planted hundreds of fruit trees and experimented with all the things that you know, I'd read about in, in some of the, you know, inspiring permaculture books, things like, that come to mind are things like Gaia's Garden and oh yes, all those kind of like Google culture experiments and straw bale gardens and everything that, you know, I was reading about and that was energizing me at the time. There was space for that to be done at Earth Dance. So that was a tremendous learning experience and awesome opportunity. No kidding. Uh, you know, I have to just pause this for a moment. We're still recording, but one of the things that I can see in you that I really love is you've taken something that happened when you were stepped right out of college and you've made a wonderful, incredible life doing what it sounds to me like what you love. And I just want to... Oh. I just want to give you a virtual high five and say, good on you, man. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. You know, I think it's, I'm so lucky that there's other people who are interested in, in these kinds of projects and services. And if you do what you love, you don't work a day in your life. And, yep. And this was just, you turn your side hustle into your day job. And But, you know, of course, it comes with all of its challenges and stresses <laughs> well, as well. <laughs> of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So, all right. So let's fast forward. So now you decide to go out on your own and you jump into this whole notion of edible landscaping. What happens next? What happens next? Well, I had no idea what was going to happen next. At the time, I just, you know, I gave notice to Earth Dance after an amazing run there and then started putting some feelers out there. You know, I'd been really inspired by some different companies that are quite similar to custom foodscaping around the country. Mm -hmm. And just you know, threw up, threw up a Facebook and an Instagram page. And then officially your business is <laughs> at least to the, to the world. You know, right. You are when you, when you make a logo and start saying your, your business. So 
you know, luckily I, I was in a very unique situation where because Earth Dance had given me awesome exposure to the food scene in St. Louis, it's it's one of the hubs for, for local food and permaculture in the region. So I had gotten to meet a lot of awesome people and, and shoot a bunch of emails out and say, hey, this is what we're doing now, or this is what I'm doing. Help me spread the word if you don't mind, and let me know if you're interested in working together. And so that's how we got started. And then, you know, the phone started ringing. It really, there was a, a newspaper that did an article. Oh, bonus. That got, yeah, that was huge. That Oh my gosh, that would be one of my biggest, one of my absolute biggest tips for people who are interested in this kind of work that I definitely did not think about is the power of the press and how simple it can be to get people to help spread the word for you for things that would otherwise be impossible markets for you to reach mm -hmm. uh, with your own abilities. So yeah. that's been awesome. Nice. So I just Googled foodscaping because I'd never really heard that word. I know it's kind of funny maybe that I've not heard that word before, but I've oh, never heard okay. that word. And it's actually in Wikipedia. Foodscaping, oh, sometimes okay. called edible landscaping or front yard farming, is a type of landscaping in which all major areas of the lawn or on a private property or public property is used to grow food. Well, that makes sense. So yep. how did you stumble across that word and what are you up to these days? Oh, man. You know, I think the... How did I stumble across that word? I think some of the businesses that are doing similar work are were called had foodscaping in their title. I know uh -huh. that one of the companies I found is a, is called Nashville Foodscapes. Ah. And and I loved what they were doing and I think that so that that's kind of I'm not not exactly sure about the origin story of that but I would say that the kinds of things we're up to now now are, you know, doing many of the things that were just mentioned in that Wikipedia entry. We do everything from edible landscape design and installation to just straight up vegetable gardening consulting. And then we do lots of like homestead design. We do, we're kind of carving out a niche within like the urban orchard or the, the suburban and urban food forests. And I think that that's and helping create basically i think most people who've delved into permaculture are familiar with the idea of a guild and this idea that we plant perennial plants that work together to fill in the architecture and attract the pollinators and grow food and grow perennial herbs these things all kind of put together on a larger scale yep. um create a food forest so we will plant plantings like that and then we sometimes we'll use some of those plants sometimes we we'll use some of those plants to be quite a bit more intentional with a um you know, the, the aesthetic that the client is looking for and use mm -hmm. repeating patterns and, you know, not such a diverse plant palette to give the look that very much resembles the kinds of landscapes that we see when we drive around cities, which are trees and shrubs and, you know, things like hostas and daylilies using a lot of those same types of architectures in terms of the plants, nice. uh, but swapping them out for edible plants. Yeah. Awesome. And what what kinds of projects have you tackled? Is there one that stands out that may be your favorite? You know, I think right now my favorite has got to be there's a uh, an orchard that we did. It's called the Permaculture Orchard that was out at a school, mm -hmm. and it's like a pre-K. No, it's like they've got it's a cute it's a big campus in the county, and so they've got high school all the way down to like you know little little ones, and so. Uh, that was, we, we planted like linear food forest rows on a, on a big hillside there. And their science teachers are, or I should say sustainability teachers were, they were really understanding of the idea of planting immense diversity and planting some native, you know, stuff as well. And they, they understood that, you know, strength comes in diversity and so many of the lessons that they want to teach 
teach about ecology and about water management and about the birds and the bees, this can all play out in this permaculture orchard. And then they have run with it completely and added beehives and, uh, you know, bat boxes and tons of like other components that have really like taken it up to the next level. Signage, Uh I would add, um, which is super important. Oh, yes. Um, Educational signage. Totally. And, And I would say this spring, this was the third year since planting, there was a lot of strawberries planted in the understory, which I, which I love because, uh, you know, a lot of times these fruiting trees take a long time, but the strawberries don't take nearly as long. Yeah. And they had so, so many strawberries, but they, that they opened up the orchard to you pick to neighbors and other people within the school system. And dozens of people came out and picked buckets of strawberries and uh, wow. that was a huge highlight. No yeah. kidding. Wow. That was a huge highlight. Nice. And in your bio, we mentioned a magical or magical food moments. Tell me about one of those. Mm. My favorite magical food moment that that just came to mind is one of the clients we're working with is a YMCA. Uh And and, and it's actually kind of her story. And we were talking about things, fruits that we could grow in their orchard that we were going to install there. And I, I I was trying to educate a group of people who knew almost nothing thing about growing food. Um, and she told this story of how there were blackberries down behind her house growing up and how every summer all the neighborhood kids would come by and they would help pick blackberries and nobody, you know, nobody washed their, their blackberries or nobody, you know, thought about it being unsafe or unclean. And it was just this tradition. And the kids were playing, like, I think she said, kickball in that area. And then, I just watched her tell this story and and kind of see the faces change in the room as she helped bridge the gap to like what this is all about, you know, and it's so basic. It's just the idea of like we need to be outside and connecting with nature and, and food can be the most powerful gateway to doing that. And I think, you know, getting to see somebody else kind of help tell that tale and happen really organically was was a real aha moment and a beautiful, a beautiful moment. Nice. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it. I would start off by saying I certainly think about failure as just an opportunity to learn. (laughs) Right. I think that, you know, it's so, I don't know, just daunting to even think about the idea of failure, because that implies that we don't have the opportunity to to correct any of our mistakes. And I think I've I've certainly made made my fair share. I think the one that stands out to me as it relates to foodscaping, especially, is the idea of valuing my time. And I think that I started off with this business wanting to very much continue the kind of like side hustle that I was doing before I started the business, which involved, you know, giving a lot of my time away for free to friends and, and family members and cousins and anybody who's interested in talking about food, you know, yeah, I'll come help you out. We'll, we'll figure something out or I'll help you plant some trees. And, and then once it became my livelihood and and that's how, you know, it's the only way I've made money since I started the company, it became a really important for me to, well, I should say, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but now I do that valuing my time. And I realized that that as a business owner, you know, we, I would go to do consultations for people and give a bunch of ideas. And then they, 
okay, yeah, I'm interested in potentially doing some work with you. Let me know what the next steps are. And I would tell them, oh, you know, I'll create this proposal for you, Mm -hmm. you you know, which will be a bid essentially. But I realized that in that bid, I was giving away tons of valuable information. And if they didn't say, yes, we want you to implement this, then I lost so many hours of time. And I think that I came to learn that that basically I needed to, you know, restructure the way that I was thinking about my time and kind of let people know, hey, this, this proposal is actually a design and an, and an, an implementation report. Because if I'm going to tell you everything that I'm going to do, then that's stuff that you could also do. And it holds great value. It's also something that somebody else could potentially do if you don't want to pay me to do it. Right. And, and so just understanding that I needed to kind of create a, a, a step in between the initial visit and doing an installation for somebody because I was just simply putting so much time into creating these designs and proposals for people. And then they could just as easily be like, oh, you know, we just had our air conditioner blow out. We'll do this another year. Or, you know, we're, we just found out we're having another kid, maybe another time. Right. I mean, I got so many of those emails and then it's just huge sunk cost. And so now I've restructured things to kind of be a little bit more fair to myself. And I'm very upfront with it, about that with clients when we go down that road. But that, that was definitely one that was hard to swallow when you put so much time into something and then you don't recoup. Exactly. And I can see the learning experience in it, which was huge for you of being able to develop these plans, which I'm sure you now charge for, right? Now we're charging. And now if somebody walks away from that, and says, oh, we're going to do this another year, or we'd like to, you know, have our nephew do this work for us, then I don't, there's no bad blood there, then I, you know, they've got something of value, and and I don't have any resentment about having done all that for them. Yeah, excellent. And what do you consider your biggest success? You know, I love this question. I, I had never had thought about it. I think right now I'm feeling like my biggest success is the fact that we've started to hire some people this year. And I really get excited when I think about, you know, when I did my PDC like 10 plus years ago now, the idea of there being jobs out there where so many, where people could get to put into practice many of the things that they were being inspired by that didn't really exist so much. Right. And it it really gets me excited to think about creating, you know, foodscaping jobs out there in the world where people aspire to be foodscapers, people aspire to grow food for a living, but not necessarily own their own farm. Because I think that is not necessarily everybody's dream is mm-hmm. to have their own farm, but they may want to just be growing food all the time and and connecting with nature and being outside. And so I think that's been really encouraging to see that we can grow this and, and create, you know, a new economy where people get to make money connecting to nature and creating positive solutions. Wow. You've really got a good grasp on all of this. Congratulations, man. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You bet. You bet. And what drives you? I think the thing that drives me more than anything is, is that magical food moment that I talked about. Uh You know, I've seen, especially with our yard, I live on a you know, 5,000 square foot urban lot. It's a food forest lot. And we have an alley that gets trafficked a lot. We're also just on the street and we're always working in the yard. We've met so many of the neighbors and we're constantly inviting them in, not only to meet them, but have them eat and try unique things. And I think, you know, just the things that I now take for granted as being so simple. Like I remember recently being in our front yard herb garden and giving lemon verbena to somebody to smell and to chew and telling them here, take this sprig home. It's like, and their face just lights up 
right? If you haven't <laughs> smelled lemon verbena, you had no idea right? that a leaf could smell so incredibly lemony and full of life. And I think those are the kinds of moments that get people to think about just how little they know about plants and food and nature. And, and that is at least the way that I started down the path that has brought me so much fulfillment. And so I guess I, I, I have hopes that maybe that same catalyst can happen for the lemon verbena tasters of the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Paradise Lot by Eric Tonesmeyer. And I, I remember reading Eric Tonesmeyer's Edible Forest Gardens and feeling like this is a lot to take in and I wasn't in a really good place to internalize all that information. But then I read Paradise Lot, which is much more of his narrative and his story about creating a backyard food forest on such a small plot of land. And I just felt like, well, this is so inspiring and this is so accessible for everybody. Right. I mean, he did it on 5,000 square feet and I grew up in a suburban, you know, pr pretty standard suburban house that was you know, I think 20,000 square feet, which isn't even that big, but it's just like amazing to think about how much we can do in a small space if we're intentional about it. Cool. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Get yourself out of analysis paralysis. And I think that there's so many good lessons in the observation phase of permaculture design. But my own experience has been that there is, there's just nothing more powerful than putting a plant in the ground, watching it grow and learning from it immediately. And even even if they're perennial plants, you know, I've dug up so many perennial plants at this point and rehomed them in other parts of the yard or with friends. Right. And there were there were many lessons learned in that process. And that's what it's all about is is maximizing the learning. Great. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Matt. You're so welcome. And how can our listeners find you? We are at customfoodscaping.com. My email is matt at customfoodscaping.com. Excellent. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash foodscaping. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find custom articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. 
So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.